Our scripture today is from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the sin, the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You are proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you would desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord. Then my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Good morning. My name is Irv Weens. My wonderful wife, Marion, is sitting just over here. Normally, we have our grandson who lives with us sitting here as well, but you know where he is today? He is skiing in Banff on this family day weekend. Extended family skiing in Banff sounds like a good place to be, right? Uh, we've been part of Elevation Church for about three and a half years, and we have just really come to love you, Elevation Church. It's just wonderful to be a part of you. And so I just thank you for, uh, for accepting us into your midst, especially this kid who lives with us. Throughout the month of February, while we still have long, dark nights and a lot of gray days, we are considering, as a congregation, the darkness of our inner being and how we can pray through these seasons of darkness within. So last week, I came home one day, and over dinner, I mentioned that I had met a particular friend. And Nathan asked, so did you talk about guilt? And I said, yes, we talked about guilt. Why do you ask? And he says, it seems like everybody you're talking to these days is a talking about guilt. Well, yeah. Nathan was right. Over the past few weeks, I have talked continuously to virtually everyone I meet about guilt. And of course, I asked Nathan, Nathan, do you experience guilt? And he sort of hummed and hawed and shook his head and shrugged his shoulders. And I said, Nathan, please tell me that you experience guilt sometimes. He said, well, yeah, when I go to class and my homework is not done, I feel a little guilty. Well, good. It's a good start. <laughs> I expect that if I would ask you today, have you or are you experiencing guilt, I'd get just about a 100% response. Think? Okay. 
I need to confess today that you are seeing an expert in guilt up here. I know a few things about guilt. I'm going to share a few of those today. I want to recognize that today that guilt is both a significant gift and a heavy burden. Both. And we hope to cover both of those. Gift and burden. But first, what happens if there is no guilt in our lives? People who do not experience guilt are dangerous people. We call people who don't have guilt sociopaths or psychopaths. Interestingly, the largest percentage of uh, CEOs, of presidents of companies, of presidents of countries, and of possibly pastors and church leaders fit this category. Externally, they may be confident, pleasant, but internally, they are cold-hearted with little or no compassion for others, no empathy. So some become kleptomaniacs, just stealing for the fun of stealing other people's properties. Some become habitual liars, and even if you point out their lie and confront them with their lie, they just keep lying with a straight face. No guilt, no shame. And then, of course, most significantly of all, there are serial killers. People who have no guilt can take the lives of any number of other people. The first biblical character that, sorry, the third biblical character, I mean, there's Adam and Eve and their first son, Cain. God comes up to him one day and said, where is your brother Abel? Well, Cain had just killed him. You know what Cain says to God? What? Am I my brother's keeper? No guilt about killing his brother. Then there is that uh, egomanical King Herod who tells the wise men, hey, when you find out where the newborn king is, please come back and tell me so I can worship him too. Only a few weeks later to wipe out all of the boy children of Bethlehem. No guilt. Well, in more recent times, we could point to somebody like Heinrich Himmler, Hitler's SS leader, who was able to eliminate six million Jews. And I hear stories that he even took some of their skin and used it for lampshades in his house. No guilt whatsoever. Or Pol Pot in the killing fields of Cambodia. Or individuals, Charles Manson, and more recently, and very close to home, Bruce MacArthur. These and many others wreak havoc and death in families, in communities, and in countries because they experience no guilt or they have so suppressed their guilt that they do not live their lives with any guilt in it. But that's not where our focus is to be today. So let's look at a situation where guilt is a gift. Now, King David was supposedly a man after the heart of God. He had prospered greatly. He had at least seven wives, you know, one for each night of the week. And then there were, in addition, there were about ten or more mistresses, you know, to add some spice to his life. Yet, one lazy afternoon, he was 
on his balcony while his army was out gaining new territory. And as he was looking down from his balcony, he noticed, ah, oh, look at that. There is a beautiful woman taking a bath in her backyard. Well, you know the story. He sent a messenger and brought her into his palace, had sex with her, and sent her home again. Ah, oh, all long before the Me Too movement, right? Yeah. No evidence of guilt. Now, some weeks later, the woman, of course, realized that she was pregnant, and so she, she sends a message to the king. No guilt. But David says, I'll do this my way. And he sends for the husband of the woman and, and tells him, come on home and go and sleep with your wife. But this brave soldier said, while the rest of the army is out, I'm not going to sleep with my wife. And he didn't. And so David said, okay, I'm going to deal this another way. And he goes way beyond adultery and tells his general, put this guy in the front row and make sure that he is dead and before you win the battle. And it happened. Still, no evidence of guilt. How far can you go? Finally, God steps in. It's time. Nathan, Nathan the prophet, go and speak to this guy and generate some serious guilt in his life. So Nathan goes and tells this little story. A poor man and his family had one pet lamb. They loved that lamb. The lamb ate at the table with them. The kids played with them continuously and even went to bed with that lamb. Next door lived a rich man who had a large flock of sheep. One day the rich man had a guest come into his house and as he was thinking about dinner, he said to one of his servants, go next door, get that pet lamb from that family and bring it here and prepare some dinner for us. You know, lamb chops would be good. And that triggered some feeling within David. Finally, that's worthy of death, the death penalty, he says. How could someone do that and express no pity, no compassion? Ah, you are the man, Nathan declares. And finally, David's guilt kicks in. Appropriate guilt. Guilt as a gift. And one of the best known psalms, Psalm 51, which we just heard read, is the result of this appropriate gift of guilt. David cries out, Have mercy on me, O God, because my, of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. You do not desire sacrifice, or I would offer one. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Well, the gift of appropriate guilt for King David. I've got a little story about appropriate guilt as well. It's a personal story. I grew up in Tofield, Alberta, which is just outside of Edmonton. My best ever teacher was Mrs. Fraser, my grade six teacher. 
She was kind yet firm, and she loved baseball. One day near the end of the school year, I had finished my assignment and I was bored. And so I wrote a little verse on a scrap of paper. No more language, no more arts, no more Molly to let a, and I put an F in front of art to make it rhyme. Well, Molly was a sad girl, overweight, smelly, often dirty, and we classmates bullied her mercilessly. I hate to confess it, but it, it just, I, I just think of how awful it was. Now, this was long before pink or orange shirts were used to talk about bullying. Now, I was planning to put, take that nasty little note and send it over to my friend David, who was one row over and a couple of seats up. But before I could do it, the bell rang. It was recess, and we all went racing out to play ball. But when we came back after recess, Mrs. Fraser had a very serious look on her face. Somebody found this note on the floor during recess. Would the person who wrote this please come up and talk to me? Nobody moved. Well, Bobby started to go down the road. Bobby, did you do this? No, Bobby didn't do it. Sarah, how about you? No, Sarah didn't do it. And she kept coming down the row. And then Irv, did you do this? No, Irv didn't do it. And I was feeling guilty. I had a lot of guilt, but I did not have enough guts to say, yes, it was me. Well, by the way, when I told Nathan this story, he said, Grandpa, putting an F in front of art is no big deal. Well, Nathan, that's not the issue. I was guilty of lying to the best teacher I ever had, and she was caring, and she was sensitive. And I lied to her, but even worse, I participated in the bullying of a girl, of a young girl, whom God loved infinitely. And that is a big deal, and that's why the guilt. Well, the next year I was in grade seven, and we were in another building, but occasionally I'd see Mrs. Fraser, and I'd feel guilty, but I resisted the appropriate guilt that I was feeling. In grade eight, Mrs. Fraser coached our junior high baseball team, well, softball team. And she named me as captain, which only made it harder to deal with the guilt. I remember the first day of the, the first game of the season, and I was sitting in class that morning, and at some point I had this incredible headache. And at some point I even had to run out and barf over the rail because I was experiencing such serious guilt because she trusted me. And what did I do? Well, I was experiencing another one of David's psalms, Psalm 32. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. But life continued, went through grade 9, through grade 10, and grade 11. And at the end of grade 11, my parents made the decision that they were going to move from Alberta to Ontario, much to my chagrin. Finally, the last day of school. The buses were lined up to take us home. I knew I would never see Mrs. Fraser again because my parents were moving to Ontario. Should I do it? 
oh, she's probably not in a room I rationalized. But then I could not stand the thought of carrying this guilt for the rest of my life. So I ran to her room, and there she was, sitting at her desk. And I said, Mrs. Fraser, when I was in your grade six class, I lied about a nasty note that I did, and I'm so sorry. She said, oh, I don't remember it, but thank you for telling me. And all the best to you as you move to Ontario. Finally, I confessed my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me all my guilt. I still remember the feeling I had running from Mrs. Fraser's room to catch the bus to get home. Now, appropriate guilt is fairly easy to recognize. You know it. You've experienced it. And once we've been able to wrestle our pride to the ground, it's also fairly easy to deal with. But not dealing with it brings chronic physical and emotional symptoms into our lives. And if you are carrying appropriate guilt from situations that you're aware of and you've had that inner longing, that call to deal with it, deal with it for your own sake, for your own health, for your own well-being and for the well-being of all others in your life. Well, there is another form of guilt. I'm calling it inappropriate guilt. Many of us suffer from this more noxious form of guilt, a chronic, toxic heaviness, feelings of deep remorse for acts that may or may not even have been done in the past, things that can't be undone, though. But the memories keep stealing silently into our subconscious lives, bringing anxiety, shame, fear, especially in the dark of winter nights. As I've engaged people in conversation about guilt, a number of them identify the church as a source of their guilt, interestingly, right? Many churches have lists of things you should or should not do, and shoulds are significant guilt uh, inducers. The lists may be uh, regularly paraded before children and youth, and they include things like disobedience to parents, lying, cheating, bad language, nasty thoughts, lust, masturbation, not having daily devotions, or even skipping church. Now, of particular concern to many church people is that their salvation experience, their being saved, didn't take. Maybe because they were not serious enough. Or they didn't do it right, didn't say the right words. And with that comes the awful, dreadful fear of damnation to hell and the lingering guilt that can go on and on. Inappropriate guilt, totally inappropriate, but it's there in a surprising number of people. Allow me to introduce our daughter, Leanne. Leanne was born into the chaos of the Vietnam War mothered by a Vietnamese woman and probably an African-American sperm contributor. Abandoned at the door of an, or of an orphanage, she survived only because she had an intense will to live. 
In that orphanage, he was eventually physically and sexually abused. Now, I bring this story forward because childhood abandonment and abuse are some of the worst causes of inappropriate guilt. You see these pictures, and many of you have experienced, where a newborn baby is put on the mother's breast or chest almost immediately because we want the bonding to happen between mother and, and child. But when there is no affection expressed, when the child is abandoned by the parent or parents, the child wonders, may not verbalize it immediately, but why did my mother abandon me? Was I naughty? Was I not pretty enough? It must be my fault and I, that I was not worthy of my mother's love. Now I say a little addendum here with some hesitation, but I'm going to take the chance anyway. There are situations where parents divorce, and when one of the parents separates from the family, from the children, children carry an amazing amount of guilt for what happened. It's my fault. If I would have been better behaved, it, they would still be together. I'm just putting that out there for you to consider. Similarly, an abuse asks, what did I do to deserve this? Did I egg him on? Did I tempt him? Was it my fault? It must be my fault. And regardless of how many times you say to the child, it is not your fault, the child grows up feeling guilty, inappropriately guilty, but guilty. Well, I'm going to come back to Leanne's story in just a few minutes. Parents, some, some parents, none of the parents here I expect, but there are parents who specialize in using inappropriate guilt to motivate and manipulate their children. My mother, bless her soul, had nine children. Six of us were boys, and things could really get rowdy at times. And when she was tired of scolding, pleading, begging, she would say, with tears, you just want me to die? And I said, no, mother, don't die. I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do whatever you ask. Whoa, she could get me to respond with guilt, and which I would call inappropriate guilt. It is not appropriate for parents to motivate their children with guilt. And putting that out there for those of you who are still working on parenting, <laughs> as we are with our guy. Well, then there are addictions. Some of you have or may currently be experiencing life with addictions. Alcohol, drugs, gambling, pornography. Now, the one with addiction, with the addiction, experiences appropriate guilt. But in order to relieve their guilt, every addict has codependence. Spouses, parents, children, best friends, who carry a lot of inappropriate guilt by taking the blame and shame of the addiction. Codependency. Here's an example. So after a night of heavy drinking and an awful hangover, the addict may say to the partner, call my boss and tell him I'm sick and I'm not coming into work today. The codependent feels guilty about lying to the boss. But if they don't, the addict may lose his job, and the, the, the family may suffer for money, and the codependent gets blamed for 
the, the loss of job and whatever happens, and a codependent feels inappropriately guilty. Well, the best thing we can do for an addict is to refuse to be codependent with them. But I tell you, it is extremely difficult if that addict is a child, or a spouse, or a parent, or a best friend. If you need help talking about codependency, talk to Marion and myself, because we have had some considerable experience in that area. There are so many ways, so many relationships, which result in inappropriate guilt Guilt seeping into our hearts and minds, bringing endless fear and anxiety. When I raised the topic of guilt with my brothers, one of them sent me the following note. Guilt is a thief that has robbed me from years of being authentic with myself and those I am closest to. So how do we attend to the guilt, the inappropriate guilt that keeps robbing us of the fullness of life God intends for us? Let's look at an example from the Jesus story, the one Melissa mentioned earlier. Luke chapter 7. So Jesus was a guest reclining at dinner in Simon the Pharisee's house. And a woman who was said to have lived a sinful life, heard that Jesus was in town, so she walked right into that dinner party with all those guests, and an interesting drama unfolds. The woman kneels at Jesus' feet and weeps uncontrollably, overwhelmed with guilt. She weeps, and her tears wash Jesus' feet. And then she takes her long hair, and with her hair wipes Jesus' feet, and then repeatedly kisses his feet as a symbol of love, incredible love. And then she pours that alabaster jar of perfume onto those feet. Now Simon, the Pharisee host, is taken aback. He said, how can, she, how can he even let her touch him? For she is a sinner. Those are his words. Judgment. Judgment by others may, shouldn't but it may, cause endless inappropriate guilt for the one being judged. I expect you may have experienced that somewhere along the line. Well, Jesus, aware of the thought of his thoughts, says, Simon, I've got something to say to you. When I came to your house, you gave me no water to wash. You did not greet me. You gave me nothing to freshen up with. And you did not extend any kind of compassion or caring for me. But do you see this woman? I just love that question by Jesus. Do you see her? Do you really see her? Her many, many sins have been forgiven. Yeah. And because she has been forgiven much, she has extended loving compassion, loving care to me. And turning to that woman, he repeats again, your sins are forgiven. There is a powerful link between compassion for others and relief from inappropriate guilt. 
Hey, I'm going to come back to Leanne's story for a minute. <clears throat> Leanne continuously lights up our lives. She called first thing this morning, said, Dad, Give me a minute. <laughs> that I just want to wish you all the best in your sermon today. She knows I'm talking about her. She lights up the lives of everybody she comes in contact with. Leanne operates a successful catering business and a restaurant in Fredericton, New Brunswick. So how has she been able to move? from this endless burden of inappropriate guilt in her life, which had endless thoughts of suicide, to a life of love, and compassion, took years of therapy. Secondly, I think this is so crucial, and this is harder than ever for me to say. Her healing came about, at least to a large degree, by the unconditional love she experienced from my father, her grandfather. And that's a long story, and I could not possibly say much more than that because I wouldn't get through it. But for people suffering from inappropriate guilt, to be loved unconditionally is a major source of healing. So if you are experiencing ongoing inappropriate guilt, find somebody who can love you unconditionally and then also extend unconditional love to those whom you know who are experiencing inappropriate guilt. And thirdly, Leanne is the person she is today because of the deep compassion she has for others. Because she herself was a child refugee, she now hires and trains refugees in her work. And then she sets them up in their own business. And she absolutely loves her work. I go to work every day just loving my work. because she's always extending herself to others. I didn't put it on, but I got a picture on my phone today of her serving Justin Trudeau lunch. Yeah. Well, Trudeau right now is a political refugee, isn't he? <laughs> For those of you who follow. Anyway, <laughs> drop that one. <laughs> there is no easy formula for eliminating inappropriate guilt. However, knowing that God freely forgives our sin and guilt, it is essential that we forgive ourselves. I encourage you to stop berating yourself for your inappropriate guilt. Have compassion on yourself. Have compassion on yourself the way Jesus had compassion on that woman who was kneeling at his feet. And as you deal with your own inappropriate guilt by unconditional love, by extending yourself to others, you can then live 
the life that God intended for you, a life of abundance and joy and freedom. So, here at Elevation, we leave the, 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 the sanctuary here and then go to the gym to continue the conversation around the topic of today, around the topic of guilt. There are questions on the table. There are also some baked goodies and there is coffee available. So I invite you, come on, come on over to the gym and continue the conversation. Talk about your appropriate or inappropriate guilt. But now I invite you to stand and we're going to read from Psalm 32, not all of it, but we're going to read it in unison. It's a little long, but let's give it a try. So stand and let's read together. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. So be it. Amen. Let's see you in the gym.